Take your Bible, turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. We pick up where we last were in the book of 1 Peter. And we're going to read today the two verses which we read last week to set the context. And we'll read beginning with verse 22 of chapter 1 and we'll read through verse 3 of chapter 2 of 1 Peter. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, in all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. We live in an age of addictions. We can be addicted to vodka or to video games. We can be addicted to pornography, or in some cases, even to people. We can be addicted to gambling or to gossiping, and I could go on and on with the possibilities of addictions. And God speaks frankly about the consequences of addictions. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, listen to what he says. A man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. A man or a woman is enslaved, entrapped by that which masters him or her, that which he or she is addicted to. Surprisingly, in this passage of Scripture, God advocates a certain type of addiction for all mankind. He says in this passage of Scripture that we are to long for the pure milk of the Word. This word long is used in the Greek version of the Old Testament in Psalm 42.1, where the Scripture says, Like a deer, or as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you. The word translated pant is the word longs for. Crave is the idea. You and I, I'm submitting to you today, not based on my own understanding, but on my understanding of what I'm sure is the truth in this passage of Scripture. We were created to crave. And the object of our creation is to be the Word of God. Like newborn babies, verse 2 of chapter 2, long for the pure milk of the Word of God. This Word of God is expounded upon in verse 24 and 25 in the last of the chapter 1. Look at it again. All flesh is like grass. This is a quotation from the book of Isaiah. And when it is quoted by Peter, he understood what the original intent of God was through the prophet Isaiah. It still held true. And that's true about God's Word. His Word never changes throughout eternity. Wherever the Word of God is read throughout time, it never changes. It's always the same. It's applicable to our lives. And when the Scripture says, all flesh is like grass, he's talking about the frailty of our humanity. The reality that it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, 
to face judgment. The fact that it is, there's a time to be born and a time to die. Like grass, all flesh will die. Peter had in mind the green grass that would cover the fields after the spring rains in Palestine. Beautiful. And some of that grass would have blossoms attached to it. That's why he goes on to say, as he carries forth the idea, and all its glory, like the flower of grass. Its glory refers to the glory of the flesh. And this word flesh is not primarily used in this context for what we have come to know of flesh, self, our personality apart from the controlling influence of the Holy Spirit, but inevitably it reaches that point. What he's saying is all flesh is corruptible and all flesh dies and all flesh decays and its glory is like the flower of the grass. Perhaps you've enjoyed from spring to spring, sometimes more than others, the poppy fields on the other side of the mountains. They're beautiful, aren't they? But you have to be sure and go quickly. Why? Because the flower of that grass falls off. It fades away quickly. I walked out of my house this morning thinking about the message. And I looked over to my right and I have a rose bush which produces beautiful yellow roses in the spring. And this spring was especially abundant in the production of those blossoms. Just recently, last week, early in the week, I noticed a bud on that rose bush. And it looked just like the buds which had come out in the spring. But you know, it never reached maturity and it's already withering because of the heat. And those leaves are falling away. Those blossoms or petals, I should say, are falling away. Falling away, just like all flesh falls away. The grass withers, the scripture goes on to say, and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. God's word is eternal. And whereas men come and go, great discoveries are made by people, and great advancements are made by people, and these people are hailed and honored, but they're gone. It seems almost as... Quickly as they come on the scene, they're gone. But not so the Word of God. The object of our craving is to be the Word of God. It's a good craving, isn't it? In light of its nature. I thought about what this text says in chapter 2, verse 2, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the Word. I thought about nursing mothers. How they give of themselves to their babies so that their babies can be properly nourished. And I've done a little research on a mother's milk and have discovered that it is the perfect food. It is full of proper nutrients. It has a proper balance of carbohydrates and proteins and fats. In addition to that, minerals and vitamins and digestive enzymes, which helps the baby take the food in, and helps the baby's body to do what it's made to do, to digest the food. And then there are hormones. The reality is milk is awesome when it comes from a mother's breast. It provides nourishment. 
for that child. The Word of God's like that too, isn't it? The Word of God says about itself, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. Do you believe that? If you don't believe it, you're selling yourself short. And one of the reasons that you are struggling, perhaps, in the area of trying to find that one final thing that will satisfy you, even if you know Jesus and you're not in the Word of God like you could be in the Word and should be in the Word of God, the reason is because you do not really understand the necessity of being a man or a woman who is steeped in the Word of God. And just as you ate something this morning, probably, most of you have eaten something this morning, You wouldn't think without going until noon to eat. You should not think about starting your day without eating the Word of God. For nourishment, but also for immunity. The psalmist says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your Word. Do not let me stray from your commandments. I love the intensity of the psalmist in someone. 19. Do not let me stray. He was so intent upon getting it right. And then he goes on to write, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The immunity that God has given us against sin certainly is the presence of the Spirit of God in our lives. But it's the Word of God. God uses His Word by His Spirit in our lives to empower us not to fall prey to sin. And there's great satisfaction in feeding on the Word of God just as in a baby's feeding at his or her mother's breast, gets great satisfaction. The Bible likens in Psalm 119-103, the Word of God to honey, sweet to the taste. Jeremiah said, Your words I did find and I ate them, and they became to me a delight and the joy of my heart. The Word of God is satisfying. It's more satisfying than anything else you and I can do is to invest ourselves in the reading and understanding of the Word of God with the help of the Holy Spirit, as we read earlier from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And of course, a baby who nurses is a baby who reaps psychological benefits. As I was doing my research, I noticed that babies who were nursed are babies who are as a rule, more stable in their lives. Isn't that interesting? Psychologically, emotionally. They've had that nurturing relationship with their mother that only a mother can give to a child. The name of God that God uses to introduce Himself yet another time to Abram when Abram was 99 years old, He was yet called Abraham. Within the year, He would be known as Abraham. But this is the way God spoke to him. I am the Lord Almighty. And do you know what that translates? I am God Almighty. Do you know what it translates? These two Hebrew words. El, meaning God, Shaddai. And Shaddai is derived from a Semitic word which means breasts or breasts, many breasts. I am the many-breasted one. That's the way Abram would have understood this when God introduced himself for the first time in this way to this great man of God, Abraham. I am the one who nourishes you, Abraham. I am the go-to person for your security. I'm the one who brings satisfaction into your life. I'm the one who will give you immunity against sin in your life. You come to me, Abram, 
And so God says that to us like newborn babies. Long, crave. Remember, we're created to crave. That's why God has put this in our heart. We are restless until we find our rest in that kind of relationship with the Lord. And verse 3 of chapter 2, Peter writes, If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, you're going to grow, is what he says. We'll get back to that in just a moment. But he echoes Psalm 34, 8, where the psalmist writes, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. The unsurpassed taste of the Word of God to you and me, if we've really interfaced properly with Him, should keep bringing us back for more. Now, some of you are from Great Britain. I don't want to offend you too much this morning because I found out that's where my ancestry largely lies in Great Britain. But I've visited England and the food is not too good there. I'm sorry, the breakfast is the only good meal that you get, in my opinion. I'm I'm just giving you my humble opinion. And I don't like breakfast, so I'm up a creek without a paddle. I lose weight when I go to England. I've been there a couple of times. I like the nation. I love it. But the food stinks. (laughs) And blandness in food does not recommend it to me. I want some flavor when I eat, don't you? And the Word of God is full of flavor. Our drinking the pure milk of the Word brings us into to direct contact with El Shaddai who gave the Word. The Word of God is the means to the end of our knowing God. The aim of the study of the Bible. If you're here today and you're hoping to learn, that is a proper per reason for being here. However, if that's the primary purpose... That's not the end game. The end game is that we know God when we study the Bible, when we pick up the Bible to read, to study, to hear people teach. We must have as our hope and our goal that we will know God more as a result. The aim of Bible study is never to master its contents, but a life-changing experience with the Lord who reveals Himself to us in the Word of God. We draw life from the Lord through the Word of God. And our appetite for more comes from our vital personal experience of His tenderness like that of a mother's tenderly cuddling her infant as the infant nurses at her breast. I could not help but think of the statement that's made about the arms of God in the book of Deuteronomy. Underneath are the everlasting arms. And as I thought of that, I got a mental picture. Until this, I thought, well, the arms of the Lord are like a safety net for us. And there's some truth in that for sure. But I thought of a mother and how gently and lovingly a mother picks her baby up, raises that little baby to her breast, and feeds that baby, nourishing the child and giving the child immunity from diseases because of the strength of the milk that comes from her body and is shared with that child. That's our God. It's pure milk. This means unadulterated milk. There's nothing crafty or deceitful in the nature of the Bible. It is utterly trustworthy. The milk in Peter's day was often watered down. 
There's no watering down of the pure milk of the Word. The milk of the Word of God is without any additives. God's Word abides without preservatives. Notice, it's the abiding Word of God. The living and enduring Word of God, which endures forever. It's perfect for nurturing and always appropriate, this Word of God. So what is the object of our craving that we were created for? It's the pure milk of the Word, isn't it? And in effect, it's for Christ Himself. Why do I say that? Remember, after Jesus had been raised from the dead, and Jesus was walking on the road to Emmaus, and He found two forlorn disciples of His, and He began to chat with them as they walked to the village of Emmaus, several miles away from Jerusalem, and they did not recognize Him. He began to talk to them from the Word of God. He took Moses, all of Moses, what we call Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He took the Scriptures as all the prophets, all of Moses, all the prophets, and He explained how they witnessed to the Messiah. In effect, He was saying, I am He, and this is how you know Me, through the Word. The Word of God prophesied about Me, points to Me, and I am found in the Word of God. So when we come as the object of our craving to the Word of God, and we feed on the Word of God, we are being people who are feeding on none other than the bread of life, Jesus Christ Himself, because He is revealed to us through the Word of God. Let's now consider the intensity of this craving. It's an incredibly intense craving. Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the Word, crave it. We've all seen a newborn's craving for a mother's milk. If ever there were a picture of addiction, that's one. A child who nurses is hooked on mom's milk, right? When it's time for her to eat, she wants it, and she wants it right now. She has one thing on her mind and one thing only. She doesn't care if her diaper needs changing, or if it's 2 a.m. in the morning, or if you've had a bad day. She wants to be fed. She's focused. And I would say to you today, if we understand what it means to have this kind of craving, we understand that we too are people who have that kind of focus on the Word of God. In Psalm 73, verse 25, the psalmist says this, Besides you, there is nothing I desire on earth. The psalmist had that kind of craving. Does there, is there anything that remotely resembles that in your life? Are there times in your life where you have this kind of strong drawing to the Word of God? What I've also noticed about nursing babies, they do not have to be forced to nurse. I know there's some exceptions to that, but as a rule, that's not the case. We shouldn't be like children whose mothers tell them to eat their veggies, which they don't like because they're good for us when it comes to the Word of God. We shouldn't have to be forced. Rather, we should be more like children who consume their favorite snack food with gusto when it comes to the Word of God. It's not snack food. It's much better. It's nutritious. It builds us up. And before I go on to the next 
idea in this passage of Scripture, let me state the obvious. This longing is inborn. This is innate if you are born again. It's inherent because of the fact that you have been born again, not with perishable seed, but with imperishable. You have been born again by the living and abiding Word of God. A sure sign of being born again is an intense yearning for God's Word. Do you have that kind of yearning? Here's the third principle to add to the first two. The first principle is the object of this craving is the Word of God. Secondly, the intensity of this craving is to be that of a nursing newborn baby. And the third idea is the purpose of this craving is so that you may grow spiritually. You will never grow spiritually unless you are a person who feeds on the Word of God. This explains why some people are stunted in their growth. There are people, maybe even people in this room, who have been Christians for 10, 20, 30 years, but there's no noticeable growth. The years have passed. The difficulties are etched on your face, but you've never grown. But the Bible says in this passage in verse 2, it says, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the Word, so that by it, that is the pure milk of the Word, you may grow in respect to salvation. We will never grow. The word translated grow is the common word used inside and outside the New Testament in the Greek language of the common man for the idea of children's growth. In salvation, spiritually, is what is mentioned here. In our initial introduction of salvation, our justification being made right, we are born again by the living and abiding Word of God. But we grow, we are sanctified by the Word of God. Jesus says, sanctify them by their truth. Your Word is truth. How do we grow? Through the Word of God. And not occasionally... Eating the Word of God. Drinking the milk of the Word of God. But making it our habit. As we develop our relationship to our God by coming again and again to be nourished on the milk of the Word, we grow in our relationship to Him. Jesus said, if any man is thirsty, let him him keep on coming to me. And let him keep on drinking. And out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. There's a direct link between our craving the pure spiritual milk of the Word and our spiritual growth. No nourishment, no growth. It's that simple. So, if you stopped growing, I can safely say it's because you've disconnected from the Word of God. And you need to reconnect. Because it's your life that depends on it. Your growth depends on it. And here's the final thing this passage would teach us. It teaches us, in addition to these other three things, that there are hindrances to this craving. There are things which spoil our appetite. And you might be surprised what they are. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all Slender, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the Word. Now, let's recall what we saw last week. 
in verse 22. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. We cannot sincerely love one another, and this is what we've been called to, fervently love one another from the heart. We've been called to do this. This is the final apologetic of the Christian life. We can argue people in the ground who are atheistic, agnostic, or in some other supposed religion. We can argue them in the ground, but if we don't have love, it's insignificant. It makes no difference. So we need to love each other. Would you agree? This emphasis is throughout both testaments of our Scripture. We are to love one another. And we see in this passage of Scripture that we've got to be done with malice. Malice. It's the most general word used in the New Testament for evil. And all the other terms which are employed by Peter in verse 1 of those things were to put aside, really come under the umbrella of malice. They're forms of evil. And this evil is described as all malice, which means every kind of malice. This is not an exhaustive list. Obviously, there are other kinds of evil. But the idea is moral evil in all its forms. Therefore, all the sins that are forbidden in Scripture, which are capsulized largely in relationships in the second part of the Ten Commandments. Let's look at the first one, deceit. Deceit is the attitude that wants to get the best of others by cunning and deception. Originally, it meant a bait for fish. Many of you have been fishing, and you know, you've got to put something on the hook. Usually, I I know of people who fish without a hook, but they don't do so well, right? And they fish with a hook sometimes without any bait, and they sure don't do so well when they do that. You put a lure of some sort, whether it's live bait or artificial bait, and you lure your victim in because you want to catch it. You trick it, that fish, in order to catch it. We know the devil is the master trickster. He is a deceiver. And he lures us in. He tempts us. But he doesn't make us sin. We know our own Sinful desires are what lead us to sin. We can't blame the devil for our sin. But we can blame ourselves when we are tools in his hand to deceive other people, especially the body of Christ. Unbelievable. Believers in Jesus deceiving other believers in Jesus. The idea of deceit is selfish, two-faced attitude that deceives and hurts others for personal gain. Let's move on to the second word, which is closely related to this idea of deceit. This word hypocrisy. Actually, in the original language, if you look at it in the original text, it's not singular, it's plural. Hypocrisies. Therefore, the various forms of pretense to which deceit resorts in its efforts to throw the intended victim off guard. A man who always concedes his real motives is a man who will speak the truth to you. And won't wear a mask. The word hypocrisy is a word which comes from two words in the Greek language. It simply stated means to speak under. To speak from under. And the idea was, this word was used widely in relationship to Greek theater and Roman theater. There were players, actors in the play and they would wear masks. And most often, 
there would be more than one mask a player would wear because the player would play more than one role in the play. And the mask would reflect, in some way, the nature or character of the one underneath the mask. So what God says when it comes to hypocrisies, it is take the mask off. Be real. Speak the truth in love. Don't hammer people with the truth about you or about the Word of God. Speak it in love. But speak it. Don't be duplicitous. Don't try to fool people because it's a godless kind of thing. I can remember it very well. It's like it's last summer instead of about 36 summers ago. Uh, Sally and I and our little boy Josh, he was one or two years old, something along that line, maybe coming up on two. We were at the El Paso Zoo, and it was a summer day. We were walking through the park, and a couple came up to us, and they were incredibly friendly. I thought, wow, for the first time, I don't have to initiate a conversation. It's pretty nice. And they were seemingly, genuinely friendly. I'll never forget the man's name. I'm not going to say his name. He may live in El Paso, and I don't want to prejudice you against him if he does. Hopefully he's had time to change. But he wanted to exchange phone numbers, and I said, okay, this is an opportunity. Maybe the Lord's placed him in my life so I can share Jesus with him. So I'll get his number. He's got mine. We'll be together, and I'll get to share Jesus with him. I was looking forward to that. He called the next day, and he said, my wife and I would like to have you come to our house. I said, all right, this is the opportunity. The Lord's given some low-hanging fruit here. Awesome. And then he began to say, I said, well, why would you want me to come? And he said, well, we want to show you something. And I said, it's not Amway, is it? That's what I said to him. (laughs) Now, I'm not against Amway. Don't mishear me. Some of you are into Amway, maybe, or some other kind of pyramid-type deal. I'm not opposed to that necessarily. But I didn't have the time to do anything besides being a pastor. I was a young pastor. I was trying to learn how to be a pastor. And it was taking me about 80 hours a week to do it. I didn't have any extra time. What I did in my spare time was devote to my family. And I did, I think, a fair job of that. So I said, and he said, well, yeah, it is Emily. I said, I thought you said it wasn't. Well, I did, but it is. He finally fessed up. And needless to say, I didn't have any other conversation with Kenny. Oh, oh, I gave his name. (laughs) But I didn't give the last name. I didn't mean mean that. I didn't give the last name. I don't remember. I wish I could say with certainty that I called him back again to try to get with him. But I don't remember that I did that to share the Lord with him. I don't even remember that. I can't say that I did. But what I'm seeking to make clear is there's no room for that kind of behavior among believers in Christ, whether you're talking to a believer or an unbeliever. Let's look at the next word. It's the word envy, and here again, it's pluralized in the original language, and envies. It's the feeling of displeasure produced by another's success or prosperity. It's a longing for what others have. It's the breaking of the Tenth Commandment. You shall not covet. And we understand this to be a plural, perhaps because there are various occasions when envious feelings arise within the church. Marcus Aurelius, who was anything but a Christian, but a somewhat wise, widely read man, an emperor, in the Roman Empire, he said, I have read Hebrew, Greek, and Chaldee, Authors, and I have not found a cure for envy. 
Envy is part of the human condition. But it's wrong. It's sinful. And it has no place in the life of a church. Therefore, no place in the life of an individual part of the church of Christ. And envy oftentimes leads to slander, does it? Hence the next word, all slander. Once more, I know I'm sounding like a broken record. The word slander is plural. All slanders. And the word slander literally means a talking down. Therefore, speech that runs another person down. A vice that deliberately assaults another's character and usually behind that person's back. Slander operates by either denying or darkening another's good name or by attributing to that person evil motives when that person is actually doing good. Let it be eliminated from the church of Jesus Christ by being eliminated from me and from you. Let it be eliminated by calling attention to other people's commendable traits when someone in our presence, especially a believer, might say something that is slanderous about that person. Let us speak well. We're not to be ignorant of sin in people's lives. The Bible's real clear about that. When we studied the book of Galatians, we saw that sometimes people are caught in a trespass. They're trapped in their own sin. And those of us who are spiritual are to go to them in a spirit of gentleness and restore them. We're to restore them. That's part of who we are as a body. It's not something that's loving to turn our heads when people are trapped in sin. We're to go and to rescue them, our brothers and sisters, from sin. When we as believers are growing in the Word, we are peacemakers, not troublemakers, promoting unity in the church of Jesus Christ. In Tibet, Tibetans do not eat a certain kind of fish because those fish do not have tongues. So they cannot gossip, which among the Tibetans, Buddhist, I might add, is a cardinal sin. And therefore, they reward this virtue of the tongueless fish by not eating them because they don't have a tongue to gossip. That's symbolic, of course. So what are we to do about malice and deceit? and hypocrisies, and envies, and slanders. Well, let's look again at verse 1 of chapter 2. Therefore, putting aside all of that, and the image here would have been clear to those who first heard the reading of the letter. It's the word which means to remove clothes. It was used in other contexts, inside and outside of the New Testament, to describe the removal of dirty, contaminated, maybe in Infectious kinds of clothing. We're to take these things off as if they were dirty, and they are dirty. And if they were infectious, and they are infectious, if you're around people and they around you enough and you're evil to them, it rubs off on them, doesn't it? Rubs off on your children. If you have children at home, rubs off on your spouse, rubs off on your brothers and sisters in Christ. We're to take those things off and discard them. Love cannot exist in such an environment of malice, deceit, hypocrisies, envies, and slanderings. What we need to understand, love does not act with spite, but always for the good of others. Love does not practice cunning, but is honest in all of its dealings. Love does not want 
to be better than others or destroy their reputations, but rejoices in others' successes and is glad to give them appropriate praise. As we conclude today, let me ask you a question. How intense is your appetite for God's Word right now? Is there an intensity? The level of our appetite for God's Word is an index of the level of our spiritual health. Loss of appetite for the pure milk of the Word is a warning signal that danger lies ahead. I remember my children, sometimes they would, as my mother said, spoil their dinner. What did they do? They ate something that they shouldn't have eaten before the real food that was helpful to them was placed before them. And sometimes we as believers have no appetite because we have eaten the wrong stuff. We've eaten at the table of the world rather than at the table of the Lord. So we must be careful about this. We must repent of such kinds of eating. The Bible says, if a man conceals his transgressions, he will not prosper. But he who confesses and renounces them will find mercy. That's wonderful, isn't it? I agree with James Houston, who wrote, the unsatisfied longing for God is what drives human beings above all else. Now, if you haven't gotten this, please get it before I finish. If you have something that's mastering your life, that you are addicted to, the root of the problem is you're feeding at the wrong source. We are created to crave the pure milk of the Word of God. And I promise you, if you go to the Word of God with a hungry heart and you say before the Lord, Lord, forgive me for settling for lesser gods than you, the one true God. Forgive me from, for feeding myself something that's not healthy. It's counterproductive. In fact, it's an insult to you. Lord, forgive me. And Lord, let me taste of you and your kindness and discover just how good you are. Beneath every desire, every desire is a yearning for God. You may say, well, that's preacher speak. Well, it is, but it's truth. And if we get that relationship settled, not in the sense that, hey, I got that done, I can check that off the list, but where we understand that the very center, the very core of our life is to be our relationship with a loving God who is like a mother nursing her children with tenderness. He loves you like that. He wants you to be in that kind of relationship with Him. Would you bow your heads with me? Do you have that kind of relationship with the Lord? And if you don't, would you like to have that kind of relationship? Well, you can settle this before you and the Lord right now by saying to the Lord, Lord, I want to have this kind of hunger for you and your word. I want 
to overcome those things which lead me away from You and not near to You. Forgive me, Lord. Take control of my life, Lord. I ask this in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen.